There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. It is the final one we're going to be doing in 2016 from Wimbledon, Catherine Whittaker, because Andy Murray is the champion for a second time. He's a multiple champion, the first British man to be a multiple champion for 80 years, and Fred Perry, dear old Fred. He did it, Andy Murray, by winning through in straight sets, 6-4, 7-6, 7-6, and he was so focused and so controlled and so motivated and he is the champion. We're hoping to get Simon Briggs here in a second. Poor Fred. Those records are just ebbing away from him, aren't they? And he can't do anything about it. Is it better to be there like Sampras was to what? Well, I suppose he was there to watch Federer equal his, his record. Is it better to be there or is it better to, to never know that your records get broken? Uh, I, think, uh, I think if he were here, he'd say Andy Murray were very, very deserving of those records, though. It was, it was vintage Andy Murray and uh, just in time, Simon Briggs has just come out of the Andy Murray press conference. Simon, first of all, your reaction to the performance of Andy Murray today? It was uh, almost flawless, wasn't it? There was just nothing you could pick out that he, he didn't do well. I mean, actually, he didn't, he didn't kill Raonic a second serve. He went, he went to put the ball in the court rather than to, to kind of demolish it, it and go for second serve return winners. So, and he didn't play the drop shot. So two of his biggest planks uh, as a tennis recently, he actually tactically decided, I'm not going to use those. But then everything else was working so well that he, he didn't need it. I was particularly taken, as I'm sure everybody was. I I was commentating on the second set. There was a moment when he returned a 147-mile-an-hour serve, the second-fastest serve in Wimbledon history. He returned it, and then he hit a passing shot winner. I mean, at that point, I said, I think this is is one of the greatest games I've ever seen because of what Raonic was throwing at him, and yet Murray was still 30-40 up. Yeah, people will say he only beat Milos Raonic, he wasn't one of the big four, but uh, I think the way he played today would have been tough for anyone to live with him. Um, I suppose Roger serving the way he did last year, semi-final maybe, but uh, it, it was kind of like a, watching a, a cricketer in, a, in the kind of middle of a, of, a, of a run of form where he's just hitting hundreds every week. He's seeing the ball so big. And there weren't just one of those returns, were there? I mean, there were, every game there were these 140-mile-an-hour body serves coming down, and he was just climbing into them as if they were coming down a sort of powder puff with a, with a, red, um, a red tennis ball hit by a, sort of a junior at the local club. What, what did he have to say in the press conference you've just come out of? Well, he said he's enjoying himself much more than he was 
um, three years ago that he's able to just kind of breathe it all in rather than feel exhausted by the pressure of having to, to break the, the, the weight of history. So it's already more enjoyable for him. Um, and, the, you know, he's playing the best tennis of his life and he's, he's relying on um, his team to, to just to bring him so much confidence and he just seems to be in a, in a, in a really good place. He said that uh, he has been, you know, working in this, in this era of, of, of legends, but he always thought there would be a time when his time came and maybe that time is now. Maybe that time is now, and Andy Murray is just coming out of the press conference room. We can see him walking towards us now, down the corridors, past the press room. Ooh, he's having a little chat with James Blake, the uh, the great American player for many years, who, uh, of course, was part of the Davis Cup winning team of the United States. They're having a good old chat. There's a lot of camaraderie, isn't there, on the tennis circuit between players and ex-players and so forth. This is no great surprise to see this. <laughs> well, particularly when they've stopped playing. <laughs> there can be a little bit more of tension when, when they're still um, going through the competitive rituals, but you saw today with Raonic, I think Raonic was quite pleased for Andy in a funny sort of way, you know, like he was at Queen's. He he'd certainly, as he, as he came off, he wasn't at all crestfallen because he felt that he, that he dealt pretty well with the challenge of it being his first slam final he said it, it it does affect you you probably can't expect to play your best tennis but I thought I did okay out there yeah there was a little bit of anxiety in uh, in Milos Raonic out there at times I felt but a lot of that I think was caused by Andy Murray we'll we'll chat more with Catherine in, in a moment we we're also going to be hearing from Mark Philippoussis who Catherine has been able to get an interview with but just before we send you on your way uh, Simon to write up your your numerous articles just give us an insight into what the paper will look like tomorrow how will the reaction be will this be on the front page do you reckon oh yeah i think it'll be on the front page of every paper i mean i was starting my piece with the fact that you know andy is now the the national antidepressant at a time when when we badly need one so i'd be it'd be absolutely extraordinary if anyone doesn't have him on the front we had four writers on center court so we have a lot of different angles covered tomorrow we've got oliver brown got Paul Hayward and Jim White. and What will they all be doing? Um, well, I think there's going to be a piece on sort of his place in the British sporting pantheon and one on, on I guess, he, more looking at the way he's climbing up the tennis um, sort of order of merit as well. Um, and then I'll be doing a match report. And uh, maybe a little bit about the, uh, the one moment he lost his cool as well when he... Uh, he had a bit of a, of, of a uh, ranty moment with his player's box at, after the second set tie break. That might make it in there somewhere. We like a ranty moment. Uh, incidentally, I, I was up on the, the player lawn um, just after the, the final where all the family and, the, and his friends and well-wishers gathered together and it was noticeable. There, was, there were these three bottles of champagne that were just sitting there on this table um, and nobody was going anywhere near them and then suddenly Kim Murray just marches over to them and opens all of them, pop, 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 and uh, fills everybody's glass. And it occurred to me that you know it is not just Andy Murray that has to live this life of a tennis player they kind of all do with him don't they that the support team and the friends and the family and this is their moment of release as well I suppose well that's one of the things he was saying in the press conference that the, the, it, the last few months have been a case of feeling so at home with Delgado as his assistant coach then Lendl coming in as his head coach and did you see Lendl looked like he teared up on the balcony did he yeah, he, he, he looked like he had a tear in his eye. Catherine Whittaker's nodding. You know Ivan Lendlewell. I, I doubted it at the time when the, when the pictures were going in, in real time. I, I, I thought I saw a hint of it and then told myself it was a trick of, trick of the eye. But then the BBC re-ran the uh, pictures in, uh, in slow-mo close-up and the, there were tears there for sure. 
Oh, isn't that nice? Oh. <laughs> that's the shock of the season Old so far. softy Lenzel. Yeah, you, you need, a, you need a, an unseeded player to win the US Open to create anything as surprising as that, wouldn't you? Wow. Well, Andy Murray's conversation with James Blake just continues here in the press room. And suddenly we are absolutely surrounded by people because everybody wants to just sort of gawp at him <laughs> and his big blue shoes that he's walking towards us with. He's got a massive smile on his face. He's just shaking hands with Kevin Mitchell from The Guardian. Everybody's having a little word. And here is Andy Murray. Congratulations, Andy. He smiles and uh, thinks, shut up, David. But anyway, um, Catherine Whitaker, Simon Briggs, it's been lovely to have you with us. Go on right now. We'll let okay. you go. But thank you for your time. Have you enjoyed Wimbledon 2016? Well, I have now. <laughs> I did say at the beginning Andy would win. I've been saying every tournament Andy would win. And I guess if you leave your, your black uh, checker on, on the right corner of the roulette table for long enough, your number comes up, right? And you got Roger Federer losing early, kind of. Uh, kind of, semi-final. Yeah, OK, we'll let you kind of have that one and then just say no more about it. Simon Briggs goes off to write uh, one of his many pieces and Catherine Whitaker. that was quite something, wasn't it, to see the number of people that gather around the champ, you know, and, and people that are covering him year-round, like Russell Fuller, who we obviously had on the tennis podcast a few days ago, part of the Five Live team. Kevin Mitchell from the Guardian all shake hands with him, and it's all it's all kind of genuine, isn't it? And as much as I think everybody here knows that he's a good guy, and you know, I think if somebody achieves something of that magnitude, we are actually happy for him. And it's not just him; I think we feel that about anybody who gets to the top of these mountains, because Grand Slam tournaments are not easily won. I think most people felt like that yesterday about Serena too. Absolutely. I cast my mind back to uh, that February day at Queen's when when I interviewed him for the tennis podcast, but not actually that interview, sitting waiting to interview him for the podcast and hearing his interview with Don McRae for The Guardian. And uh, that was just a couple of weeks after he had lost the Australian Open final to Novak Djokovic, just, just after he'd uh, had his daughter. And uh, he was asked by Don McRae, you know, what more can you do? What more can you do to get the better of this guy, Novak Djokovic? And he said, there's nothing more I can do. I know that there is absolutely nothing more I can be doing in my tennis career. I've just got to keep doing it and hope that it will be enough some of the time, all of the time, you know, at some point it will be enough. And I'm so pleased for him that this fortnight it has been enough. And, uh, yeah, I made my point yesterday about... The fact that we'll never know if he could have done it had Sam Quarry not given him the helping hand. But he's if you do count it as a slice of luck that Sam Quarry came along and took out Djokovic, it's a slice of luck that he is more than earned. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, their first Grand Slam titles came against final opponents that were significantly lower ranked than them. You know, Mark Filippoussis was low ranked at that time. He was on the comeback trail. Mariano Puerta, uh, Joe Wilfred Songa, not a seeded player at the time that Djokovic beat him. Andy Murray has had to muscle his way in to the best era tennis has ever seen. And the fact that he's a three-time and counting Grand Slam champion in that era is unbelievable. Yeah, it's highly, highly impressive. Um, now, 
Catherine, before we talk a little bit more about uh, about where we go next, let's hear from Mark Philippus, who's a finalist here, twice a Grand Slam runner-up, in fact, here in 2003. He's been working alongside Catherine as part of the Live at Wimbledon team, and, and he was very rich in his praise for Andy Murray. He was highly impressed, I think, with the level that Andy Murray kept up throughout that match, his concentration, his intensity, his focus. But he was a little bit disappointed, was Mark Philippus, with the approach... Of Milos Raonic. He stayed back way too too much. Now I know it's it's not you know it's difficult. To, you can't just come in on the women and pray off anything because Murray's ground strokes and his passing shots are too good. But it's, it, with a serve that big, at least you control the serve. And I just would have liked to see him serve and volley more. Even on the second serves, mixing it up um, that way, you know, trying to keep um, Murray guessing a little bit more on the return of serve. You've been out there, Wimbledon final 2003 against Roger Federer. You know about the occasion, the emotion of the occasion. We watched those those celebrations from Andy Murray, the outpouring of emotion, very different to celebrations in the aftermath of the other two Grand Slam wins. What was that down to, do you think? I felt like this one um, was more about him, to be quite honest with you. The first Wimbledon trophy, the Grand Slam, first Wimbledon um, that he won was kind of more about to Britain, okay, I did it, now leave me alone maybe kind of thing, like uh, let, relax, um, and, and I think all that pressure of all those years that were on Tim and that was put on Andy, all of a sudden were released, and it's like, yes, we finally got our champion, um, and now I felt this one was more about him, um, and he can enjoy it more, that, that's, that's what I got out of it, what I believe. And just finally, what now for Andy Murray? There's still a 5,000-point gap between him and Novak Djokovic. But on the evidence of today, is there any reason why the world number one title and future Grand Slam title shouldn't be very well within his sights? Well, I mean, that's exactly where his mind is. And, and there's no doubt I, I, his mind is, isn't there right now, to be quite honest. But that's a, that's a tall, you know, it's, it's a big mountain to climb. But he's made the first step, and it's a huge first step. Um, and, and that's, like I said, he's the ultimate professional. He, he wakes up in the morning, and he goes to work, and he gives it 110%. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've seen incredible things in, 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 in this game. And uh, uh, Federer, all of a sudden, you know, winning the Grand One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. 
Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Flamsies one, did we see that coming? All of a sudden, when it was Federer one and two, we didn't, there was not even uh, we didn't even know what, what who three was. We didn't care. It was just, we're so focused on those two guys, and and it was kind of everyone for themselves for number three because number one and two is going to be taken for a long time. All of a sudden, Djokovic got up there out of nowhere. So it, for Murray to, to to make his way to number one won't surprise me at all. Um, it's it's he's going to have a lot of work ahead of him, obviously, because because Djokovic kind of has been dominating for so long, and he's got a huge huge gap, like you said. But but it, it starts, you know, every journey starts with one step, and he's made that today. Future Grand Slams in his future, though. Oh my God, without a doubt, future Grand Slams for sure. Uh, you know, he's got Lendl back in his corner, and, and when I heard that, I, I I was incredibly happy for him, and and I knew, man, that's a, that's a dangerous team, a dangerous combination. Mark, thanks so much. Pleasure to watch the final with you. Thank you. Kat. So there's uh, Mark Philippoussis, Catherine, talking to you shortly after the final, and noticeable how I think he's, he, he shares a little bit of um, similar feeling to Milos Raonic in terms of approach for the game, physical stature. He would know what he's talking about, wouldn't he, Mark? Yeah, I watched that final with him on the monitor in the live Wimbledon studio and he was very frustrated with Milos Raonic. I think he understands his game perfectly. He understands his, his situation today perfectly. Walking on to centre court for a Wimbledon final for the very first time in your career, not knowing if it'll be the only time, which of course it turned out to be for Filipusa. So I think he really, really felt a kinship with Raonic then. He was very very frustrated with him you know why why are you trying to batter with Andy Murray at the back of the court and I think the answer is probably he was so afraid of Murray's returns of Murray's passing shots but you know Raonic said his game plan was to try and impose his game on Andy Murray and that means I guess coming in and doing what you want to do regardless of what's coming at you from the other side of the net and he didn't really do that today it's understandable but uh, I, I do think you know when the post-mortem happens give, give him a few days to, to to get over it but when the when they start nitpicking over whether whether John McEnroe is involved in the nitpicking or not, who knows? Um, but when they do nitpick, I, I think he might have one or two regrets about the general approach to the match. But that you know that's being harsh. It was it was a tough tough ask for somebody playing their very best today against Andy Murray. Well, that's where I would ultimately come down. And I mean, I think Raonic could have played a little bit better, but I still think think of some of those serves that he was just neutralising. He was making 140 mile an hour plus serves look not really very fast and and I still can't quite get my head around how a human being does that um, but anyway Andy Murray did it today other things that Mark Philippoussis was talking about there the future and whether that gap is bridgeable 
for uh, for Andy Murray with Novak Djokovic. I had a similar conversation on Five Live with Greg Rosetsky, who was adamant that uh, that Andy Murray could not only win the U.S. Open but become world number one next year. And sounded to me as though Mark Philippus has shared that view. I think so. I mean, right now, five thousand points sounds pretty unbridgeable, but it's amazing how quickly you know those points will start to drop off. Um, Djokovic's clock if he doesn't defend them you know Djokovic is in the position of having to just defend what he's already got Andy Murray can gain ground on him so yeah it feels like uh, a pretty high summit to try and reach but I I think suddenly you know win a couple of Masters series or win the US Open or well not the Olympics this year but just get a couple of those maybe one or two early losses from Novak Djokovic not that I don't think that this Wimbledon was a total blip from him but I just think it's something that could turn very quickly and suddenly seem completely within his grasp so absolutely I think that should be his goal I think he's seen it as achievable I spoke to him in Montreal last year when he'd just got the number two spot and he saw number one as achievable then so if he saw it as achievable then it's certainly achievable now I think in his press conference uh, he was saying that he plans to talk to Leon Smith and the Davis Cup team tomorrow to make up his mind Um, I think it's uh, it's a big ask as we know, it's a big ask. I mean, the thing starts in a few days' time. But anyway, we'll keep our eyes on that. The Olympics are on the horizon. We obviously have the US Open after that. Um, yeah, it's, it's... Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with that? We'll concentrate at the moment on this victory, a fantastic one. Andy Murray winning his third this Grand Slam title. Oh, we've got a nice little announcement here. Oh, Heather Watson coming into the interview room. Has she won? It must do, because they were a set-up. Uh, and uh, if it had gone to three sets, I don't think they would be in the press conference or on their way to the press conference room right now. So I think they must have won. OK, we're going to take that as red. What else has happened today? Uh, we've had Gordon Reed winning uh, the singles wheelchair title. And uh, they were some of, some of, obviously Andy Murray's winning moment was up there. But Gordon Reed's winning moment was up there as well. As I heard that the other end of the entire Wimbledon complex. I mean, it was extraordinary, the noise being made on Gordon Reed's court. Unbelievable. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of the wheelchair players uh, this this fortnight and I'd sort of known in abstract how significant it is for them to have had the singles event introduced uh, to Wimbledon this year. But actually speaking to them, I mean, it is of the most enormous significance to that sport, to, to para-sport in general, I think, that that Wimbledon now has a singles event. I understand all the practical reasons why they felt that they couldn't, but nonetheless, I think it's very very important that they now do and uh, it's wonderful to see these athletes get the recognition they deserve. And if you have never seen wheelchair tennis, I am telling you, watch it. It is just spellbinding. I mean, you're looking at rallies that are 70, 80 shots long and and they're flying all over the court. And I mean, you just, I I remember sitting, (laughs) doing another match entirely with with Leon Smith and we'd got it on the monitor in in the Australian Open watching Gordon Reid trying to get over the finish line. And we just couldn't take our eyes off it. We're commentating way more on that than we were on the the singles match in front of us. Um, So do go and watch some if you get the chance. Uh, What else has happened? Uh, we've had a Canadian win a title. Uh, Denis Shapovalov, the Canadian 17-year-old, won the boys' title here today. He was very impressive. He played uh, another 17-year-old in the final, an Australian, Deminor, Deminor. I'm not entirely clear on the correct pronunciation of that. I will double-check, though, because you know how, what a stickler I am for pronunciations. Uh, 
and uh, they were both 17 years old but Shapovalov looked about eight years older than Diminor it was I mean it, it didn't look right that he was out there on on court one I felt like you know his mum should come and pick him up and take him home he looked about 11 years old but uh, it was a great final uh, and Shapovalov definitely won for the future I can understand why the Canadians are excited about the future, not only because of Raonic and, and Bouchard and Pospisil as well, although what a horrible year he's having. Um, but yeah, they've got uh, they've got Shapovalov and they've also got this guy Felix Auger Aliassim, who I'm reliably informed is a definite star of the future. He's just that bit younger than the Shapovalovs and the Sitsapasses. Is that enough of a tongue teaser for you, David? On the yeah, don't don't get me doing commentary on that one. Throw a blanket on me. I'm Catherine, oh my word. Uh, Catherine Whitaker there with the, uh, the tips for the future. Um, so, what else have we had? We had the Williams sisters winning the doubles title last night. My goodness, that was a vicious match. They were playing against Fedova. I can't remember who her partner Babosh. was. Babosh, yeah. Oh my goodness. They were absolutely driving the ball at each other, screaming with every shot. It was aggressive. It was violent. I loved it. It was naked aggression, wasn't it? From both of them. I loved that Babosh and Shvedova were giving as good as they got. But as soon as as soon as soon it was a battle of aggression and intimidation, there really was going to be only one winning team. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, I, I love that they gave it a go, Babosh and Shvedova. They, they tried to hit back at Venus and Serena Williams as hard as they were getting, and they couldn't quite couldn't quite do it but uh, uh, I mean Serena wanted that doubles title didn't she she desperately wanted it it was great to see that we also had um, another Queen's Wimbledon double obviously from Andy Murray and we got the same in the doubles in the men's side because uh, Nicolas Mahou 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 and uh, Pierre-Hugues Herbert how well did I pronounce that eh? they did the double too what a doubles team they've become I'm so pleased for them. I really am. I think they're fantastic to watch for a doubles team. I think it's great for doubles and for singles that Mayu and Herbert, it is improving their singles game enormously. Herbert seems to have come from nowhere in the singles rankings and he's notching some, some decent results. Third round here, I think, or second round. He certainly lost to Mayu in the singles here and, of course, Mayu went on to reach first ever round of 16 uh, at a Grand Slam. So I think they are great they try and pretend they don't speak english so they don't have to do too much press but i know i know they do and charmingly so i agree I, i've had a chat with them both very nice fellows both of them and uh, congratulations to them so that pretty much sums it up Catherine whittaker another wimbledon comes to an end it's been good hasn't it oh it's been one for the ages i think i, I feel like it's had a bit of everything really do uh i, I think uh, I keep coming back to it. On one hand, I think it's a shame that Djokovic wasn't in the mix at the end, but in another way, it's given us a completely different angle on a men's Grand Slam. You do know, though, somewhere he's keeping an eye on that and he's thinking, all right, Andy, all right, you have your moment. I'll be back. It was very funny during the semi-final, I think it was the semi-final between uh, Raonic and Federer, which, of course, was the side of the draw that Djokovic was on and he would have been... Well, not hoping he would have been expecting probably to, to be competing in that match. He tweeted a, a corporate tweet about one, uh, uh, I think it was about wine. I think it was about Jacob's Creek wine. Other wines are available. Uh, and whether it was one of, 
a timed tweet that had always been set to uh, to go out at that moment, or whether it was a very strategically timed tweet. I don't I don't know, but it was absolutely hilarious, and it created quite, quite a stir uh, on Twitter when it went out. I, I mean, I can't believe he wasn't watching today. We know Boris was watching because he was in the royal box. Yeah, it was quite funny. He was interviewed on Five Live, and he was saying, "Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure Andy will win, it, win more Grand Slam titles." And I'm thinking, "Hold on." You're the bloke supposed to be stop. You're going to stop him, surely, from doing this. Uh, anyway, uh, Boris uh, paying rich tribute to Andy Murray for his success, as we do. A Grand Slam champion for a third time. Suspect that isn't going to be the end of it either. Mark Filipus has seemed pretty sure, didn't he? But no, that Djokovic will have plenty to say, as will many others. And it really does set it up beautifully for the summer. Catherine, I think we're done. I think we're done with the tennis podcast for 2016 at Wimbledon. We are not going to be done for the rest of the year, though, are we? We're going to be back in style. No, we're going to have, we're going to have a bit of a breather. I mean, this has been... Until tomorrow. It's been no, a, no. It's been a feat of broadcasting, hasn't it, David? I think, is it? All, I we think do is, all we do is stand here and have a chat. I, I mean, know, come on, it's I, not exactly hard, is it? I think we're quite pleased with ourselves secretly, aren't you we? You look really pleased with yourself. <laughs> it's been a good day. It's been a good tournament. It's been a good podcast-a-thon. It has. So thanks to Simon Briggs, to Oliver Brown, to Charlie Eccleshare, to... All the other guests we've had, like Claire Balding and Philip Studd and Alistair Rekin and Russell Fuller and Jeff Taranga, everybody who's appeared on the tennis podcast here. Uh, and of course, most of all, to you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure as always. Likewise, David. I respect you almost as much as Richard Krychek as well. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, and most of all, folks, thank you for listening to us. Do follow us on Twitter at Tennis Podcast and on Facebook as well. Leave us an iTunes review. Come on, we've just done 15 shows in two weeks. We deserve an iTunes review, all right? Let's everybody know that, you know, you think it's all right. If you don't think it's all right, don't leave one. But anyway, do leave one because we know you like it, really. Otherwise, why would you be listening? Uh, we are going to be back soon with many more shows over the coming months in 2016. Rounding up the, uh, the action on the tennis circuit, we'll have one every week over the summer. Hopefully we'll have a few more regular ones during the US Open. But for now, from Wimbledon, from all of us at the Tennis Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 